Thank you. Thank you. I didn't know that you could ask Jesus to walk with you. I had heard about following Jesus, but I did not know that I could ask Jesus to walk with me. Truth be told, I wouldn't have been inclined. I'd heard a lot about following Jesus. And like I said, I wouldn't have been inclined to ask him to walk with me. In 2008, I had the great blessing of sharing my first word with you all here in this amazing place. And during that first opportunity to get to know you, I wanted to share with you something that had changed my life. And what had happened for me uninclined as I was to be following Jesus or walking with Jesus or talking with Jesus or really doing much of anything with Jesus. As I had started my morning on this day about 25 years ago, as I often did, getting centered and quieted for the day, and I was startled and more than a little dismayed that Jesus showed up right in front of me. And I told that story a number of years ago. I've made reference to it. I'm not going to share the whole story again. But what I will tell you is the very first thing that Jesus ever said to me personally me sitting there in my apartment living room, feeling really unhappy that Jesus was standing in front of me, having a great sense of trepidation and fear about what this was going to mean for me, afraid that it was going to require of me things that went against my sense of soul. And the very first thing that Jesus said to me in that moment was, can I walk with you? It was utterly unimaginable to me, and it shattered me. I had no idea he could be so kind. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that a shame? I had no idea that he could be so kind. And I said yes. And I didn't know what it would mean and I thought that there would all of a sudden be restrictions and limitations and well, I'd have to pay attention to this guilt and fear and shame that I carried inside of me and do something like say I deserved it. 
and none of that happened. I did not look for that moment. I was not seeking it. I had not asked for it. I did not want it. And even so, Jesus came and asked if he could walk with me. And I will tell you that in the 20-something years since, Jesus has never, ever been anything but kind. And I have never been anything but loved. Have you ever considered what it would mean if Jesus asked if he could walk with you? Is that how it came to you or were you told you needed to follow in the footsteps and then had those described to you in ways that maybe like me made you hesitate about taking those steps? There are so many things that I wish that I could speak with you today. On the very first sermon, I made reference to Dorothy Allison, who is one of my favorite authors, a white lesbian who wrote Bastard Out of Carolina, along with some other beautiful books. One of the books that she wrote is called Two or Three Things I Know for Sure, and I referenced that book during my first sermon. I talked about how Dorothy spoke about her aunt, who would always say when there was something really important to get across, her aunt would say, two or three things I know for sure. And not always the same two or three things. I'm not always as sure as I want to be, but two or three things I know for sure, and this is one of them. And I use that to share some of the things that were important to me by way of introduction. And so I'm just going to tell you, almost seven years later, I don't remember what those two or three things were that I shared with you then, but I'm sticking by it. Two or three things I know for sure, they may not ever be the same two or three things. I may not always be as sure as I want to be, but two or three things I know for sure, and here are some of them. I want you to know these three things before I leave. The first thing is I want to encourage you with all of my heart to let the lies die. Whatever they are, let the lies die. If those lies about what it means to follow in the footsteps, meaning if those instructions or descriptions of what it means to walk with Jesus have anything to do with anything other than love, let the lies die. And if anything that you have been told encourages you to regard yourself with anything less than love, let those lies die. And if some of those lies have taken root in you in a way that you are living them out by harming yourself in any way, 
with the way you think, the way you talk, how you live, what you do. Let those lies die. You have been given the gift of life. And you are beloved, holy beloved, created in God's own image. Look around you. Look at these people, your siblings, your brothers and sisters, the young ones, the old ones. You know it's true. You know it's true. And so I am asking you with my whole heart to let the lies die. Do not speak them. Do not think them. Do not live them. Do not pass them on. Look at our beautiful children and our teens all around us. Let the lies die. No one should ever be surprised that Jesus is kind and only loving. No one should ever have to fight to know that truth. No one should ever be denied our birthright, which is the unconditional love of God. The second thing I would like you to open yourself to, and this takes courage, I'm talking guts. Know what you know. Yeah, it sounds simple. I'm going to say it again. Know what you know. The thing about all these lies is that when we start to speak the truth about what we know, even, and sadly, especially sometimes, when what we know is that we're worthy, when we know that we're good, when we know that we are holy, beloved, sacred, beautiful, and true, when love is real and good in our lives, even when we know what we know what we know, we swallow it and choke on it because people around us tell us we cannot know what we do know. If I leave you with something, I will beg you to have the courage of God to know what you know. Grace comes to the wave when it realizes what it's made of. And this is the thing. We're all made of the same water. We are all made of the same water. My beloved ones, we are all made of the same water. Again, look around you. You know it's true. Can you look at anyone here? Can you really behold these children among us? Can you think one is good and one is bad? Can you think one is worthy and one is not? Can you really look around and say you know in your heart of hearts that some of us are undeserving of the love of God and others of us are not? Have the courage to know what you know. And lastly, I would ask you to live your light. This is a small but powerful ask. It's a different thing than believing you are light. 
It's a different thing than believing you are loved. It's a different thing than believing in God. It's a different thing than believing in anything, really. What I'm asking is that you actually live the truth of the love of God created in you from the beginning, wholly inherent in who you are, unable to be diminished by anyone else's opinion, completely offered from the moment of your conception and birth by the creator who has called you forth in love, for love, by love, to love. Live your light. This world is full, full of the pain that the lies and the shadowing and the swallowing everything that's true and good and lovely costs us. Can we make a world where our children can walk in the world, holy beloved, rejoicing in their goodness? No need to cast out or cast down because everybody is beloved by God. Live your light. Those are the three things. Unless you think that I just decided to come and, you know, talk. Pull some stuff out of my heels. <laughs> I would like to say that I actually believe this is the whole point of Jesus. For real. I'm not standing here today telling you I have a perspective, that I am a queer minister, so I just think radical. What I want to tell you is I actually place my life on this, that this is the meaning of the scripture we received today. Let us be mindful that this going into the water of baptism with John and coming up out of the water and receiving the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of being beloved, let's be mindful that this story is told in some version or another in all four of the Gospels. That's a rare thing. Let's be mindful that in all of them, this is the first story we are told about Jesus, the grown man. Anything that precedes this in any of the Gospels is talking about how he's born and the baby stuff. This is the first moment that we are introduced to who Jesus is. Think about this. We do not first receive stories about him healing and teaching and doing good works. The very first thing we are told is that Jesus came, and he came to the river, and he went into the waters, and he rose, and the heavens parted, and God's voice proclaimed him already, beloved. Already the one in whom God is well pleased. 
the very first proclamation about who Jesus is says that God's love is unconditional. Scholars have lots of ridiculous arguments about why Jesus was baptized. Books and books are written about why would Jesus, who is perfect and committed no sin, allowed to go into the waters of baptism because we all know the waters of baptism are there for one thing, to wash away our inherent sinful nature. And Jesus didn't have that. So what's the deal? And then they write a lot of additional words trying to turn the somersaults around an explanation that can hold these two things at the same time. The idea that Jesus is perfect, born beloved, unconditionally loved by God, but all the rest of us are somehow created by that very same God, inherently flawed, destined for sin, and without any significant intervention, are going to burn in hell. Have you heard this? Or are these just weird books that I've read? <laughs> I need you to hear this very clearly. Where did that idea come from? Because it's not in those stories. Read the books for yourself. It does not say that the baptism that Jesus goes into the water for is for the sinners to be washed of their inherent sinful nature. It does not say that. It says, repent, which means return. Could it be as simple and as true as that God is saying, Return, as in come home again to who you are. Repent, return, come home again to who you are. Receive the good news. You see, it makes so much more sense than trying to create all these gymnastics to explain and to continue to uphold the lie that you are somehow inherently doomed. It makes so much more sense to read what's there, which simply is that the very first thing that Jesus shows to the world is who we truly are. And that the hope and the unconditional love that he brings forth saves the world saves us from the lies, saves us from anything that would decree that we are other than what God has created us to be. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. My dear ones, this is who you are. And just because there is a long history 
for reasons that we might have great compassion around. Where in our own fear-ridden, lie-burdened state, some of us who did not experience the grace of realizing what we're made of truly have told stories about who God is that make us not want to meet God and have told us truths about who we are that make us not want to be who we are. Just because this has happened does not mean that it is true. And so I'm going to reiterate and close with this one more time. Please do not unknow what you know. Please do not let go of what has been given to you. Please do not die to the life that God has so joyfully, beautifully, absolutely, unconditionally lifted up in you. For our world needs you. Let the lies die. However they're in your life, let them die. Have the courage to know what you know. And if these two things bring you back to love, well then. And live your light. Don't just believe these things. Live them. Proclaim them with how you are, with your children and your neighbors, with your lover, with your family, with your friends, with me, with yourself. Live it. This world was formed in light, is destined for light, and you are the light of the world. Please, I look forward to seeing you upon those adventuresome paths that we will make way for everyone else to come home. Finally, I would like to share with you a poem. It's just a personal indulgence, but it's a poem that I love and when I read, made me think of you. It is by David White. It is called, This Poem Belongs to You. This poem belongs to you, and it is already finished. It was begun years ago, and I put it away, knowing it would come into the world in its own time. In fact, you've already read it. And closing the pages of the book, you're now abandoning old projects and putting on your shoes and coat to take a walk. It's been long years since you felt like this. You have remembered what I remembered when I first began to write. I love you. Thank you.